Good morning and welcome to Willow Park Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Jordan and I am so glad that we're here together and that we can worship together and, uh, and be in God's presence. Uh, we're walking through the book of Colossians and we're continuing on the book of Colossians today. And uh, I'm really excited for what we have, what we have planned and what we can see and, uh, and what we're going to talk about today. Before we do that, let's just take a moment to pray and to ask God to be with us. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you that you're here, that you love us, that you care for us, that we can, that we can be fully in your presence. Today, God, as we learn about the old covenant and the new covenant and the end of religion and, and what, is to, what was to come and what is here, we just are so grateful for it. We're grateful for your grace and your love and your mercy that lives in us daily. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Hello and welcome to Church Online. So happy to be here with my fellow worship leader, Sarah, and with all of you gathered here online and uh, joined by the Holy Spirit. We're just so pleased to, to worship with you. And a uh, special shout out, I'm the senior adult pastor at Willow Park, so a special shout out to all my fellow seniors there. And I thought we'd start with a, a classic from uh, our hymn sings. And uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can join together like this. I thank you for the creativity you put in our hearts, that you inspire the hearts of men and women to, to write songs like this. And the voices you give us to lift to you. We thank you for this time. We ask that you bless it and bless this service in Jesus' name. Just a closer walk with Thee Granted Jesus is my plea Daily walking close to Thee Let it be, dear Lord, let it be strong Jesus keep me from all wrong I'll be satisfied as long as I walk let me walk close to thee Just a closer walk with Thee Grand Jesus is my plea Daily walking close to Thee Let it be, dear Lord, let it be Through this world of toils and snares If I falter, Lord, who cares? Who with me my burden shares? None but Thee, dear Lord, none but Thee Just a closer walk with Thee Grant 
Lifted Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. When this feeble life is o'er, Time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safely o'er to thy kingdom shore, to thy shore. Just a closer walk with thee. Jesus is my plea, daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be, let it be. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your sun comes up it's a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. You're rich. singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find bless the Lord of my soul oh my soul worship his holy name sing like now 
sovereign and we thank you so much that you are unchanging and changing times you are the rock we can lean on you are all the beauty of the world out of nothing you created everything We lay things at your feet, Lord. All those things that burden us, all those things that trouble us, they're not really ours to carry. I confess I'm sorry I even tried. We give them to you, the sovereign Lord.
where sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you song to rise to you when temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Cause Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Thank you, Lord. We need you and you are there. We give you the rest of this day. Bless the rest of this service. Bless us all as we go through this rest of the day and the rest of the week and the times ahead of us, knowing that, yeah, we need you and yeah, you are always there. You are mighty, you are holy, you are great, you are everything, and we love you. Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy the rest of the service. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us today.
Hi everyone, my name is Luke and I'm an apprentice pastor here at Willow Park Church. Here's your family news for this week. Well, it's November, so I guess it's okay for us to start talking about Christmas, right? Well, Christmas is always a big deal here at Willow Park Church, and we wanted to let you know about a couple of things you can add to your holiday calendars. First, we are having a fun carols and gingerbread event here at the South on Saturday, December 4th. Then on December 17th, 18th, and 19th, we're super happy to announce that we'll be having multiple Living Nativity services. You can register for both carols and gingerbread and Living Nativity now on our website or on the Church Center app. Next Sunday, November 14th, is our annual general meeting. This meeting will be taking place on Zoom with the financial meeting happening at 2 p.m. and the general meeting happening at 3 p.m. In order to attend this meeting, you will need to pre-register on our website. And if you would like more information and would like to receive a link to the meeting documents, please sign up to receive our weekly emails. On Monday, November 15th at 7 p.m., we would like to invite all of our worship, tech, and production volunteers to a special event called Worship One. If you are currently serving on a team here at the South, you are highly encouraged to attend. Pastor Zach will be giving his testimony and will be sharing about his heart and vision for the worship ministry here at Willow Park Church. I'm looking forward to this. I'll be there and I hope to see you there too. Also, we wanted to let you all know that the South Art Project Studio has now reopened here at the South. If you love to be creative and to create art, you are welcome to come and work on a project amongst other artists in a relaxed and encouraging environment every Friday morning from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. Contact Colleen Gay or Heather Parlane for more information. Finally, we wanted to say a big thank you to all of our volunteers, both here at the South and at Highway 33, who made our Trunk or Treat outreach event such a huge success. We had hundreds of people from the community join us and everyone had an amazing time. Here's a video recap of the event. With so much going on here at Willow Park Church, we don't want you to miss a thing. Subscribe to our email updates on our website and we will send you all the details each week after the Sunday morning service. That is all for our family news. Thank you and have a wonderful week.
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If, with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Thank you, Aaron. Please take your seats. I think this might be your face mask. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you, team. What a beautiful time of worship. So grateful. It's lovely to have Luke with us. Slightly biased, I know, but it's nice whenever he, uh, whenever he comes to visit. You're right there, mate. Okay, I'll leave you to it. Because nobody's watching me. Everybody's watching you right now, just so you know. No pressure. There we go, beauty. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Aaron, for reading that, uh, that passage. What we're going to do this morning as we continue our working through Colossians is we're going to take the essence of what Paul is communicating in this passage that on first reading could seem quite heavy, some quite complicated things there, things that you might be going, okay, what's this got to do with me uh, in my 21st century life as a parent or as a business owner or as somebody who is trying hard to be a great grandparent or uncle, whatever it might be. So we're going to take this scripture and we're going to look at what Paul is saying from a kind of a 50,000 foot level, then we're going to land it and uh, I'm believing it's going to be very, very encouraging to you. Um, this week we, uh, we remember Remembrance Day on Thursday and it's a bit unusual this year because you would think that today was Remembrance Sunday, whereas actually it's next week is Remembrance Sunday, the second Sunday uh, of, our, uh, of November. And, uh, and, and it's, it's good to be able to turn to what really is uh, what we stand for as Canada, which is our national anthem, and we stood for the reading of the word because we believe that it should be honored, and we stand for our national anthem. I'm not going to ask you to do that this morning. I'm not going to ask you to sing, but this is the first verse. O Canada, our home and native land, true patriot love in all thy sons command. With glowing hearts we see thee rise, the true north, strong and free. Uh, it was interesting, just before the service, uh, we spotted that actually the, the verse that we had up there is the new verse. So we've actually reverted back to the original verse, which includes God and sons and is far more politically uh, kind of, uh, I guess, charged in our, in our strange culture. But, uh, but it's very interesting. There's one word in there that I want to focus on, which is really what Paul is communicating in this passage. And it's this word, free. And it's, very, uh, it's a God coincidence that we're talking about freedom this morning, a week where we reflect on the freedom that was brought 
by the sacrifice of so many and continues to be brought by the sacrifice of so many, uh, by the, the wars and the armies and the soldiers that are going to war on our behalf right now. Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee, this freedom, this true north, strong and free. This word freedom, it's a really powerful word. And it's a word that we, we use very freely and very quickly. And I asked my wife this morning, what comes to mind when you think of the word freedom? Because freedom is one of the greatest values that the West has uh, that we should be free. If you look at the, uh, the American national anthem, it is there as well, land of the free. What does this word freedom really mean? And, and are we really free? Because if you ask our culture, you ask the regular millennial or Gen Z, what does freedom mean? They may have struggled to define it perfectly, but the essence of what freedom means in our culture is this. I feel free when I'm free to do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. That is the definition of freedom. I, freedom means I can do whatever I want, that I have no constraints, that nobody is going to tell me what I can and can't do. And so that might mean freedom in finances, financial freedom. We use that term. What does that mean? It means that I am not constrained by a lack of money. I can do whatever I want. What does it lead to? Well, it can lead to consumerism and hedonism and everything else that can come with excess amounts of material possessions. It might be sexual freedom. Whoever I want, whenever I want, it means nothing. Relationship freedom, that I have the freedom to swipe right on the app and I can just go from relationship to relationship and, uh, and, and life is good. That is true relationship freedom, is what our culture would say. Freedom from authority, you don't get to tell me what to do. Don't tell me how I should live. Don't tell me what I should wear. Don't tell me where I should go. I can do whatever I want. That is the God of freedom that our culture would revere. And then, of course, freedom of expression. This all sounds great in theory. I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And, and, and if you asked culture, you, asked, you had a conversation with somebody who was quite thoughtful about these things, you will quickly find out that it's a common ideal that Christianity and this idea of cultural freedom are at odds because Christianity is seen as a series of must-dos, have to do, stop that, put that down, don't even think about looking at that, that really that you must give up all fill-in-the-blank enjoyment, happiness, smiling. You've got, to, you've got to give all that up in order to be a Christian not interested. And that is the assumption that many people have about Christianity. It's a series of rules, a series of things you must do, must not do in order for you to be a Christian. No thank you, because I feel free when I'm free to do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. In fact, if you go back even in history, you'll see this opposition between Christianity and so-called freedom is rife. One of my favorite quotes that I saw this, this week is from the French philosopher Diderot, and he said this, No freedom until the last king is strangled on the entrails of the last priest. That guy was having a bad day, wasn't he? That we won't be truly free until all authority is taken away, and all religion is taken away as well, then we will be free. Thank you, Diderot. Appreciate that. We were having a discussion before the service whether it was... No, actually, I'm not going to say that because it might be insulting to some. 
The Bible, though, I can tell you later. The Bible is full of language of freedom, though. In fact, I could argue that the main current all through the Bible is freedom. It's freedom. That Christianity is not at odds with the idea of freedom. Christianity is freedom. Jesus' first sermon, the first words, his kind of portfolio, what am I about? You want to know what Jesus is about? In his own words in Luke chapter 4, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free. Notice that Jesus does not give any caveats. He doesn't say, you have to's. He doesn't give any conditions. He says, look, you want to know what I'm about? You want to know what Jesus is about? You want to know what belief in God is about? You want to know what the Bible is about? It is about freedom. It's about freedom, about being free. So if this is a mega theme through the Bible, freedom, how is it that we've got ourselves in a place with culture where the culture sees, no, freedom is about me having no constraints. I can do whatever I want. And then the Bible says, well, actually, you follow Jesus, you are going to truly be free. Because what does he say? The truth will set you, and everyone said, free. That's what Jesus was about. It's what Christianity is all about. So the big question from society or culture, and maybe in your mind, is does Jesus actually follow through? Because let's be honest, you may have come across some Christians, Christian friends. You might know some Christian friends in your world. Christian friends, you might be one of these people that don't look free. Got a face like thunder. You know, sometimes I tell my kids, feel your face. Because your face, I say it more gently than that. But your face looks like, oh, I'm so mad about stuff right now. This perpetual frown. What did you, you know, my mom used to say when I was a kid, if the wind changes, you'll stay like that. Do you, is that an expression they use in Canada? Some of you look at me blank. Do you pull a funny face and the wind changes, your face will stay like that? I'm not lying, am I, British people? Okay, well, sorry, some, for some Christians, it looks like the wind has changed. It's like, do you want to be a Christian just like me? No, thanks. Because you look miserable, and I don't want to be like that. I'd rather be free. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about freedom, full life. Jesus said that you might live life and life to the full. Life how it was truly meant to be lived. That is what Christianity is about. So does Jesus actually follow through with his promise? Well, you'd look at some Christians and you'd wonder. We're going to address that a little bit gently and lovingly. You're going to wonder, but then does this follow through? Does this follow through? Do you actually find true freedom, joy, peace, and all those things that we strive after? Contentment, fulfillment, purpose, value-driven life, those things that we're wired to chase after. Does actually our culture's promise of freedom follow through? Does it follow through? Timothy Keller in his book, Making Sense of God, said this, and I quote, Freedom has come to be defined as the absence of any limitations or constraints on us. By this definition, the fewer boundaries we have on our personal choices and actions, the freer we feel ourselves to be. Held in this form, I want to argue that the narrative has gone wrong and it is doing damage. What Timothy Keller is saying here is that the culture's definition of freedom 
I feel free when I can do whatever I want to do, it's actually resulting in damage, and the narrative has gone wrong. Is Timothy Keller right? So we've got two types of freedom at pits here. We've got freedom from, which is what the culture says we need, and Jesus says freedom to. It's very different. So we have two freedoms at war. And in steps Christianity, in steps you, in steps your parenting, in steps your business owning, in steps your life with your neighbors and your friends. You have two freedoms. Which camp are we in? Are we in the freedom from or are we in the freedom to? Because they're very, very different. And so let's look at the evidence of what actually life that our culture says. What is it that we are actually resulting? What's actually happening? See, Christianity and Jesus says that we're actually built for a life of freedom. You look right back at Genesis. And however you want to interpret Genesis, I'm not going to get into that this morning. Whether you're young world or old world or whatever, that's a fantastic conversation to have. But the essence is this, is that God created mankind, humankind, to be perfect, living in a perfect world, experiencing perfect communion with God. That was God's plan. That's what we were designed to be. Which is why, and I've said this so many times over the last 11 years, I do not need to stand here and convince any human of a spiritual need in their lives because we just know that we know that we know that we've been created for something more. And that is the mark of God on every one of our lives. It's a clue, if you like, of the existence of God. We've been built for a life of freedom with God where true love and joy and peace can be found. It's where we belong. It's where we're happiest. It's where we flourish. But our culture would say, no, that is not where we belong. We belong in we can do whatever we want and life will be great. Well, let's look at the results of that freedom. Are we actually built for this kind of freedom? Okay, I'm going to go through this very quickly because it's pretty depressing, so buckle up. Addiction is at an all-time high. I started looking at some of the addiction facts and statistics for Canada. It is frightening the percentage now attributed to the number of people who are struggling with alcohol in our country. Drugs, all-time high. And so they're trying to decriminalize it in order to, in some way, that will actually look a little bit more palatable. That's not the only reason. But ultimately, the use of drugs is at an all-time high, rising since the onset of covid even if you move away from the substance abuse and go to the more accepted addictions in our culture, things like sugar and carbs, coffee, and I need to be careful with that one because I love my coffee, social media, an accepted addiction, but we've seen, and I've said this many times, that you can track back the curve stick, the hockey stick increase from 2007 and social media and the onset of Twitter and Facebook and the iPhone, and then there being an increase in, a, in addictions and anxiety and depression, self-harming and suicide, at exact moment it feels in our generation, especially with our young, attributed to social media and the need to be perfect and the need to be projecting yourselves as something that you're not. Gambling is at an all-time high. The accepted practice, especially of online poker gambling, because it's in secret. I think we would be amazed at the number of people who are addicted to that in our neighborhoods. Consumerism, all-time high. Sex and porn, just one stat. I had lots, and I actually got rid of them in my notes this morning because I think you all get it. Listen to this stat. 90% 
90, 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn with their friends. They are more concerned about the environment than they are about porn. That is the freedom that we're actually experiencing. The you just go and do whatever you want to do, it won't harm, as long as it doesn't harm anybody. That second part, that as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, is the big caveat, because it is. It might not be in a direct way, but it is surely in an indirect way. So I feel free when I'm free to do whatever I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. But actually what we're seeing is our culture's freedom result in an epidemic level of anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction, and family breakup. You don't need the Bible for me to prove that to be the case. We know that's the case. Our freedom, frankly, is not working. And that's putting it very lightly. Our freedom is killing us. E.O. Wilson, the biologist, naturalist, and writer, said this. Listen to these words. Humanity will be positioned godlike to take control of its own ultimate fate. Godlike. Humanity will be godlike in its ability to control its own fate. In some way, he's right. We do have that ability to control our own fate, especially when you look at these stats. But godlike is how people see themselves. So is this God of freedom that our culture is seeking after, is it truly bringing it life and life more to the full? Does it deliver? Sarah and I had the joy this, uh, this last summer to go on holiday to Souk in the island. We've never had a holiday in the, on the island before. And we, uh, we camped, we had a great time, it was lovely, and Sarah was very, very excited about one particular event that we had. Um, in fact, I do think, I seem to remember that it was booked without any consultation. But that's a whole other sermon, which is whale watching. Very, very excited about the whale watching. I was like, eh, that's okay. It's, you know, I don't know why it doesn't kind of grip me. Some people just get so excited about it. I wasn't that bothered, but my wife was excited. She was looking forward to it, so that made me happy. And we, time, we turned up at this place, and straight away I was a little concerned because we turned up in this place in Souk, and I have to say I highly recommend it. The story ends well. But we arrived at what looked like just this tiny little house, uh, a little extension on somebody's house, and I'm like, this isn't shouting out safety to me. Um, and we got in, and we, we got our stuff, and the guy actually, it was brilliant, it was a great tour. I do remember, though, sitting in the, in the big rib, the, 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 the boat the, that we go out on, the speedboat, and I was thinking, right, he's going to go through some pretty stringent safety here. And I'm not particularly risk-averse, but I was kind of interested to see how things would work if something happened, like a whale suddenly decides, actually, I'm a bit peckish, and they look good. You know, something, something like that. And so we were sat huddled in our, in our suits, and, and it was great. And the safety talk started. And I can tell you in great detail what that safety talk was, because all he said was, if any of you get in trouble, lift your hand. That's all he said. That was it. And off we went. 
So uh, we went and we, we actually had an amazing day. We saw so many killer whales. It was phenomenal. Just pods and they were chewing on stuff that you can't see underneath the water. It was thrashing around and we saw humpback whales. And it was a brilliant, brilliant day. And he had lots and lots of amazing uh, um, facts about. He knew they had this app that they could tell which whale it was. Oh, this guy's called Fred. And his favorite color is, and you know, it was just all these amazing facts. It was really, really cool. And it got me to think about the whales that used to be and maybe still are in captivity around the world. And you know how when you see a killer whale in captivity, their dorsal fin is bent over. Have you seen that before? Is there anything that looks more sad than that? When you compare what they should look like, they actually look like that in captivity. And scientists aren't 100% sure why this is the case, but the strongest argument they believe is that captive killer whales swimming in small circles due to the inadequate space, and then slowly their dorsal fin starts bending in on itself. Because they're, all they're doing is going in circles. They were not built to be in a place like that. They were built to be in the ocean. Now you could say, how restrictive that they can only be in the ocean. And yet, have you ever seen a killer whale in the ocean? How many of you have actually had that joy? There is something so magnificent, so enthralling, so attractive, so amazing about seeing a killer whale in the right habitat built to be there in the place that it was designed to be. It flourishes. It is constrained, if you like, by its water. But it doesn't belong anywhere else. Because when you put it somewhere else, it starts bending in on itself. And is there anything more sad than that? It is built for open water. Friends, we are truly free when we are enjoying and fulfilling and doing things that we were built to do. You could argue, oh, well, that's very constraining to believe in Jesus, to follow after Jesus. But if that was what we were built to do, is there anything more flourishing and beautiful than that? And my argument is, as you look at Christianity and you look at what Jesus brings into your life, what you can actually see is flourishing in an open ocean of beauty. But it seems to me that the culture has gotten satisfied with swimming in small circles, believing ourselves to be free, while all the time bending in on ourselves and slowly dying. I'm free. Well, technically, you're in water. Technically, you woke up this morning. Technically, you're kind of free. But you could experience the whole ocean, my friend. And we see lives bent in on themselves, wondering what the answer would be. Seemingly satisfied with swimming in small circles. See, the freedom seen in a killer whale is something to behold. And can I tell you, the freedom seen in Christians, brothers and sisters is something to be beholden. When you see a Christian truly flourishing in the place that God has, has called them to be, to be the person they have been called to be, to be the person they've been built to be, there is life and life to the full. So I guess the question would be, is are we actually bent into captivity as a result of chasing our definition of being free? 
believing that somehow that we are going to be the one that proves everybody else wrong. That us chasing our dreams and our, our goals and our visions alone as being that being the ultimate, that somehow we're going to be the one that makes a difference and actually we're going to find freedom in that. And all the time we're just satisfied with swimming in small circles. That's why I say, let's not put ourselves down by worshipping and believing in something that is below us. When we've been created to worship the ultimate and experience the ultimate and enjoy the ultimate. Which is why, and I come right back to Colossians chapter 2. This whole passage is about Paul declaring the difference between captivity and freedom. He's saying, look. According to human precepts, this was the passage we read earlier on, and thanks for Aaron for doing that. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. See, this freedom has an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism. You said it so well, Aaron. Aestheticism and severity to the body. But look what Paul says. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So you can follow the rules of the culture, but they have no value in seeing transformational change in your life. This is what I find fascinating about people when they say Christianity is full of rules. Because if you actually look to our culture recently, and it doesn't matter what age you are, you've got to look a certain way, say a certain thing, not say a certain thing. Did you know? Deep breaths. It is now politically incorrect to refer to a bullpen in baseball. Because it is, you ready? Offensive to bulls. I'm not even kidding. Not now. It's not on your cue card, QR card, but Google it. That, is it Peter, Peta, P-E-T-A? saying that they should actually stop referring to a bullpen because it actually highlights uh, bulls in captivity. It's offensive. Well, you know, where does it end? It is so... This, this <laughs> human precepts and teaching has an appearance of wisdom. I don't even think that has an appearance of wisdom. But anyway, it, it just makes no sense. It, it sounds like... Oh, where does it end? Paul says it has no value. He lists previously in the same passage, days and diets. I don't know if he's referring to keto or, um, or you know, all the other diets that you've got to follow. And if you really, really want to flourish, you have to do it this way. You've got to do things on certain days in certain ways in certain diets. The festivals he refers to earlier on in the passage that you've got, to, you've got to follow through and you've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to listen to certain things. You must not say this. You have to say that. If you want rules, my friend, all you need to do is look at our culture. Because you break one of those rules, you watch out. You're going to get chased down and there ain't going to be any freedom in that at all. Which is ironic to me that people look at Christianity when really the rule is this. Follow Jesus. There endeth the rules. Just follow Jesus. And in that you will find life and life to the full. Strict adherence is demanded by our culture. Is that freedom? Paul says there is no value. There is no value. He says it's lacking in truth. It might look good on the outside while inside we are slowly dying. Enslaved, if you like. And so as Christians, as human beings, 
My desire, my, my prayer is that you would see how beautifully and wonderfully you have been made as a human being. I, I don't argue against that. But there is a brokenness, a mark on each one of us through the sin that came into the world. You don't believe in sin, then just switch on your internet. You'll see sin. It's right there. So with this broken humankind, enslaved is the way that the Bible describes it. Passed from generation to generation. That Paul in his other writings says, you are dead to God. He even goes further than that and says, you're an enemy to God. You know what? If there's one person you don't want to make an enemy of, it's God. I know where I'd put my money, but we've already said we're not gambling. That's not right. But you do not want to make an enemy of God. For most of us, we don't end up in extremes. The going around in circles, the, the lack of freedom, the chasing of the things of our culture, we don't end up in, in kind of hyper-addiction. We actually end up in a place that arguably can be worse. It's a really scary verse in Numbers. And it's one that you will know off by heart. Numbers 32, 23. You don't see this on many Christian mugs, do you? You don't see this on fancy banners, little crocheted things on mantelpieces. Be sure that your sin will find you out. Hashtag. It's not a popular verse. Have you ever heard it preached on? Well, you are now. <laughs> because it's a really interesting verse. It doesn't mean what we all think it means. It doesn't mean that if you sin, someone is going to find out. That's what we think it means. That's where our mind goes to straight away. That the world is going to find out about your sin, so buckle up. Actually, it's far scarier than that. Your sin will find you. That's what it means. Your sin will find you. See, sin has a life and a power of its own. And they come after you. Your sins will taunt you. They will probe you. They will get at you. They create a mental cocktail party playlist in your mind that gets really, really loud when we go quiet. Reminding of you of who you really are. Reminding you of the enslavement that you feel. Reminding you of past hurts. Reminding you of things that have been done to you and done by you. This constant voice that is inside on constant play that creates anxiety. Your sin will find you. Which is why, by the way, in the quietness of our hearts, we hear it the loudest. Which is why everything in this world, this enemy that we have, will do everything he can to make sure our noise, our noise level in our world is up here. Because he knows that as soon as we start hearing the reality of what is truly going on in our world, then we start seeking God out because that is our natural inclination is to find forgiveness and freedom. 
So keep the noise of activity loud. Keep the literal noise plugged in, the AirPods plugged in, the social media going, the hectic life at work, the kids crawling up the walls, whatever it might look like. Let's do everything we can to distract you from the quietness because in the quietness, your sin will find you and will create paranoia. It will create this sense of foolishness, this shame, this guilt that ends up in crippling you. Is that where freedom is truly found? So what we do is we think, and I'm a sucker for this, I'm going to get myself a new toy. And I found that the older I get, the toys get more expensive. And they take more and more managing and winterizing and summarizing and springerizing and autumnizing and whatever else. We just need to keep on maintaining our toys because we believe that in that toy, we're going to find that the voice is quietened down. Maybe it's not a toy. Maybe it's a new distraction. Maybe it's a new hobby. Maybe it's a new interest. Maybe it's a new business venture. Maybe it's a new focus. Maybe it's a new self-help book. Whatever it might be, let's keep the distractions high. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe I can just swipe right one more time. And in that, I'm going to find freedom. In that, I'm going to find joy. And in that, the voices are going to go quieter. While all the time, they just rev up and they get louder and louder and louder as we continue to swim and swim and swim in circles not created for this enslavement. See, freedom that our culture espouses results in enslavement. And then in steps Jesus. And he says, there's a new way to live. The truth will set you free. Free indeed. You might have life and life more abundantly. That you would experience that which you have been created for. That you could swim the ocean of life in the way that you were built for. That it doesn't matter what else is going on. You have the ocean. You have the providence from God. You have his hand on your life. You want love and joy and peace. It is not found in the freedom of the world, in the possessions, the people, the power, the popularity. It is found in Jesus because Jesus first and foremost gives us freedom from our past. That we can be free from this noisy enslavement. Paul again in Ephesians says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Let's be honest, friends. There are times, there may be some of you sat here right now listening online and you feel dead. That everything's living and breathing. You might really work hard to make sure that people are alive, that you seem alive to others. But you know that when it all goes quiet, the noise level just gets so loud. And it is draining the life out of your soul. And Jesus steps in and says, I will make you alive again. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved that Jesus on the cross take all the consequences of your sin that you were born into, that we willfully commit on a daily basis, that it is applied to Jesus, imputed is the doctrinal theological word, that my sin imputed onto Jesus dies with Jesus and thereby this miracle of conversion, that my nature is changed, that I am taken from the pool in the San Diego Zoo or whatever it's called as the killer whale and placed in the ocean where I belong 
Because there is no way that that killer whale is getting there by itself. Amen? There is no way you are getting from captivity to freedom by yourself. I don't care how many quad bikes you've got. It ain't going to happen. That is not the freedom you deserve. It's not the freedom not deserve. It's not the freedom you were born for. I could argue it's the captivity we deserve because of the sin that we have committed. But Jesus, in his love and in his passion and in his commitment, this miracle of conversion, our natures are changed. And God sets us free from sin's requirements. I was expecting you all to jump up and cheer then. I'm so disappointed. Free. True freedom. He rescued us from sin. Rescued us from death. Rescued us from enslavement. Rescued us from captivity. And placed us as a new citizen of a new kingdom where we were built to be born. Where we were built to thrive. That is where we belong. Which is why the Bible speaks of blindness. That we blindly think that we're in this pool doing circles in our freedom. We think we're free. When all the time we're not. We're made new citizens. And then Paul goes on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The old past sin wiped clean. As far away as the east is from the west, it is from God's mind. That when he looks at you, Christian friend, he sees Jesus in all his glory. He sees Jesus' perfection, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' justification placed upon you for all eternity. That is freedom. But it doesn't end there. Because the consequence of my sin died with him on the cross. He is buried, which is why we baptize, by the way. It's symbolic. When you get baptized, it's symbolic of the death that has happened in our nature. But then, praise the Lord, as Tyler would confess from a few weeks ago, you are brought back out of the water alive. Because we rise with Jesus in new life. We're truly alive and Jesus gives us freedom from our present our past is dealt with, and our present is dealt with. Look what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, another way of saying that is hold on to, practice my teaching, you are truly my disciples, he said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus links two things here together. If you want to actually live in freedom, so we've seen that our past can be freed, But living that day-to-day freedom comes in a certain way. So let's make it practical. And these voices, this constant reminder, this cocktail party playlist that's going on in our minds, trying to tell us that we're something that we are not, if you're a Christian. That if you actually come to the place where you have confessed your sin and experienced that conversion that is so beautifully simple, You don't need to have your hand up in church in order for that to happen to you. It can be in the quietness of your own heart at home. It can be on a walk where you just say, Lord, I need you, and I am a sinner. I need this newness of life because I feel captive. And you confess your need for him. You confess your sin before him, and you are converted, and you become a new citizen in the kingdom of heaven. And then from then on in, this freedom follows If, Jesus says, you abide in my word. So this is where we get the miserable Christians. 
This is where it gets a little bit tough to some of us. Because if you are not living in that freedom, then what you actually have to do is look at the word and see what it is that you are not being obedient to. So there's this working out of your salvation that comes on the back of the work that he's done in salvation. So if you abide in my word, so let let me explain this a little bit more clearly. It takes discipline and practice to find freedom. A few years ago, many years ago actually, because how long have we been married now? Almost 30 years. So it's probably about 30 years ago. I remember very distinctly going on a very, very long walk with my wife and my, uh, my future father-in-law. I think we were dating at the time. And my future mother-in-law. And we were going up a mountain in North Wales called Snowdon. When I say mountain, in comparison to the Rockies, it's more of a molehill, if I'm honest. But it still takes some climbing. It's still hard work. And so uh, we were climbing up Snowdon. And again, when I say climbing, (laughs) I mean walking up the path on the side that was steep. And it was hard work. You're a few hours in, and it's misty, and it's damp. It's a bit miserable. And it's Snowdon. That's what it's like. That's what you expect. You don't go expecting clear blue vistas or anything like that, because it's Snowdon. And so you're climbing up, and it's And you're just like, you know when you get to the point where you're breathing so hard that all you're thinking about is breathing so hard? You're like, okay, I can do this, I can do this. And I'm trying to impress my future mother and father-in-law. And, you know, yes, I can look after your daughter because look how I'm not breathing heavy at all, you know, as you're slogging your way up the side of this mountain. And then you get to the point where you go, this isn't fun anymore. Why am I doing this? Whose idea was this anyway? What am I going to prove? I don't care about my future mother and father-in-law. I was at that point. Then I heard a noise, and, you could, and the noise sounded like this. I'm like, what is that? And then out of the mist from behind us, because I stopped, any, any excuse, right? So I'm stopped, and out of the mist, literally, it's like some epic scene from an old movie, emerges two young men running up the side of this mountain with bikes on their backs, I couldn't find enough rocks quick enough to want to throw at these two. And then they had the audacity as they're running past to go, hello. And I'm like, hi. I'm like, do you remember, love? Unbelievable. And then about an hour later, guess what? They come back down. And they're coming on the bikes. This is way before mountain biking was popular. They were probably just using two old rally bikes that weighed about half a ton each, you know. But they were on their backs, running up the side of this mountain. And I'm going, that is mental. And, and yet, I was really jealous of it. How did they get to that point? They didn't wake up one morning and go, you know what? I think I'm going to go for a bike, a run up the side of the mountain, bike down, having never done any running or biking before. They practiced it. There is freedom in disciplining yourself to practicing something. You need to obey the law of the mountain. You need to bend to its will. Don't expect the mountain to bend to your will. You need to obey the designer of the equipment. If you want to go up a mountain, you're going to have to wear the right equipment. You will obey the design of it. If you're going to put toques on your feet and, and, and boots on your head, you're going to get in trouble. You need to obey the designer. And then you need to discipline yourself to practice. So friends, we need to obey the laws that God has given us in this world. And one of them is to abide in my word. 
You need to obey the designer. You need to bend into his will. You do not ask God to bend into your will. He is the designer. He is the ocean. He is the one that we find freedom in. And that is the way life should be led. That is what we've been designed to be. So there is discipline in practice. We have to practice. So freedom emerges over time. So as you dedicate yourself to abiding in his word and learning more about the one that you are following and you spend more time saying no to things and yes to other things, you will find that you will feel more and more free. And not to stretch the analogy too much, but you'll find that you'll be able to run up mountains when they come into your life. And sometimes you might, all you can do is stand as this mountain as this issue, as this chaos, as this family member, as this insurmountable issue arrives in your life, you may only be able to stand, but friends, you will stand. That is found. That freedom is found as you abide, as you follow, as you practice his teaching, as you obey the designer, you trust in the equipment. And you practice. It's a daily occurrence. It's not a one-off Bible reading for two minutes every three weeks. Freedom emerges. And this new person emerges. And your new actions will lead to new habits. And your new habits will lead to new brain patterns. And these new brain patterns will lead to new responses and new reactions. And this new character emerges. And then we come to what Paul said as I pull all this together. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. And he goes on and he talks about all these rules that his culture had for them to really experience Jesus. He says in verse 7, these are just a shadow. The substance substance belongs to Christ. And then he moves on and he says, if you want to grow, the growth comes from God. Not from you trying to follow the rules of the culture. He comes from God emerging from you and in you. And then it says, if with Christ you died, if you have come to Christ, if you have come to the cross, and you've recognized your need and you have found freedom in him, then all the regulations of the world will be of no value to you at all because everything you need will be found in Jesus. So Paul is saying, why are you holding on to the things of the past that don't change you, that enslave you, when all you need is to hold on to God? He will bring you the growth. He will bring you the freedom. He will provide you the ocean. He will take you from captivity and place you in a place that you were designed to be. And Jesus himself said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. There is freedom. So you are free from guilt, you are free from shame, you are free from the voices, you are free from the cocktail playlist. You are able to run up mountains or sometimes just stand on the mountains. Sometimes you get lost in the ocean, in the beauty of everything that God has given you. And the world might look at you and think you've got nothing, but you will know you have everything that you will ever need forever, full stop. In Christ Jesus to enjoy the liberation that you were created to be. I didn't get my grammar wrong there. To enjoy the liberation you were created to be. Because we take that liberation into our culture and we be the liberation in front of others. So this morning, if you, and I invite the worship team to come up, please. If you're being crushed or controlled 
and you feel like you're yoked to something that is dragging you down and drowning you down, if you feel bent in on yourself, if you feel crushed by the mountain, the only freedom, the only yoke that won't crush you is following Jesus and what he said to do. Making him Lord, obedient to him, following his practices. Friends, you will be free indeed. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to stand. I've already read a scripture about examining yourself. As we sing this song together and worship together, I want to invite you to examine yourself. Not, not to feel bad about yourself, but to feel free. And maybe that freedom means that you just, you just want to thank him and you're grateful and you are just overwhelmed by the beauty of the ocean. But maybe that examination leads you to remember the voices that get really loud. Maybe that examination reminds you that you actually are feeling crushed. You're feeling heavy. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling anxious. Maybe that examination will cause you to think, what is it you're yoked to? What is it that you attach to? What is it that you are looking to to find that freedom? What lies are you believing? And all you do is you communicate what you're thinking to Jesus. And you ask him to break in, to break down, to forgive you. And then it won't become about being free free from things and more about freedom to things. Freedom to love. Freedom to enjoy peace. Freedom to be patient. Freedom to have self-control. Freedom to find joy. That's the promise. So let's close our eyes. pray for those in the room right now who have never come to that place where they have asked for forgiveness where they have recognized the weight of their own sin and shame and look to the cross but Lord I pray that you would draw them to yourself they would lay down their burdens at the foot of the cross, that they would see that the consequences of their sin, their sin, Lord, placed upon you and dead forever. But Lord, I pray for new nature to be birthed here this morning. And Lord, I pray for my Christian brothers and sisters who are weighed down, Lord, I pray in these words as we sing that they would be a prayer 
What a gift of grace. Jesus, my redeemer. Jesus, my rescuer. Jesus, my Lord. Thank you, Jesus.